Welcome to the only podcast on the planet produced exclusively for wholesalers and their leaders. This is Wholesaler Masterminds Radio. Now, here's your host, Rob Shore. Wholesalers, welcome to another episode of Wholesaler Masterminds Radio. Wholesalers, this episode is brought to you by Wholesaler Masterminds Schedulers. And our managing director of Wholesaler Masterminds Schedulers, Melanie, gave me a book over Christmas, and the name of the book is Your Best Just Got Better. And as I looked at the content of that book and I read more about the author, I thought to myself, this would be an outstanding guest for Wholesaler Masterminds Radio. You see, Jason Womack sees the world a little bit differently. He doesn't deny there's 24 hours in the day, but he defies low expectations for what can be accomplished in that time. Now, he doesn't refute that life is busy, but he refuses to compromise when it comes to increasing productivity and maximizing time for things that are most important. He's a teacher. He's an international speaker, a productivity coach, an author of the book that I just mentioned, which we'll link up on the website, but his clients describe him as a force of energy. He shows that working longer hours doesn't have to be your only choice to increase productivity and performance. This sounds like a topic we need to know more about wholesalers. Jason Womack, welcome to Wholesaler Masterminds Radio. Hey, thanks, Rob. It's great to, to share some of this stuff with, with everybody. It is my pleasure to have you here. Let's get down to business. And uh, We were talking a little bit about your mention of the 1% most important part of your day. What does that mean? How, how do I identify the most important 1% of my day? You know, first of all, kind of backing up for me, taking a look at the chunks of time that we have through that 24-hour period, did a little bit of math, Rob, and realized that 15 minutes is about 1% of a 24-hour cycle. So there's 96 of these 15-minute chunks throughout the day. Now, when the most powerful 15 minutes is for somebody, going to be unique to them. What I look for is what is something I can do in about a quarter of an hour that when I come out of that, I am fully engaged, I am fully prepared, I am fully ready to maximize that big word we use often, potential. I can give you one of my, my favorite tactics of what I do in the power 15 minutes, Definitely. and that's to go through, and what I do is I study someone in my extended circle of influence who's making a big impact somewhere. It might be a mayor of a city that I'm traveling to. It might be an athlete who's also volunteering her or his time in a charity or in a school. But what I find is that the, the folks that I get to work with, so much of their life is in the giving, in the doing, in the being productive, that in taking a few moments per day, and, and I take about 15 minutes, and literally I go study somebody who's doing something incredible who might even be busier than I am, but what it does is it energizes me to say, all right, Jason, you've, you've dove in, you got some, some inspiration, some information, some energy, now where do you get to go apply that? Now, when during that day, some people are going to be my early morning risers. They're going to be ready to do some big power quarter of an hour in the morning. Other folks use it as a pick-me-up in the afternoon, maybe that, that lull after lunch that they need to re-engage with what they're doing. Uh, but I always like to remind myself the power of a focused 15 minutes can have huge benefits of, of productivity through the day. 
So the other thing that you talk about, and I'm sure it kind of dovetails into this a little bit, if not a lot, you talk about the acronym of MIT, most important task. You know, wholesalers, I think we'd agree between us, and we tell Jason, every task I do during the day is important. Yeah, some are a little more important than others, but, you know, damn, I'm busy. I'm busy 14 hours a day, and, you know, if I had a 25th hour for sale, I would just, you know, make a killing. What is MIT? So there's two ways to look at that, and the easiest way to do it is to take a look at your to-do list, take a look at your calendar. Uh, if anyone's ever rewritten a to-do list on a different day or they've got these reminders around their computer monitor on sticky notes or, or that kind of a organizational system, there's two MITs, really there's two levels of MIT that I'm looking at. You mentioned the first one, the most important tasks. Now, the easiest way to understand if it's a task that I'm trying to prioritize, trying to get done, is that it starts with a verb. I'll have a, a task, call somebody, email somebody, draft something, review something. The other acronym, MIT, that we use is most important thing. Easy way to review that is to look for the nouns. So I look for the calendar. Who am I meeting with? Where am I traveling to? What event am I sponsoring or getting engaged in? And what I often find is that when there's a, quote, time management problem, sometimes there's a mismatch, Rob, between how many tasks people are doing towards which things they're trying to get done. That is, the verbs of busyness need to really be in alignment with the nouns of difference making. So if I look out over the week, I'm going to choose for myself, okay, Jason, here are the X number of things, two or three clients, three or four events, four or five situations or circumstances. I'm going to make sure then that all my tasks, as much as possible, are going to align into those things. I can't go too far without mentioning something off to the side. And if you haven't done this this year, Rob, we're doing this call early enough in the year where people could probably get a jump on this. Take a week or so, do a little self-tracking, and I would say if you could start to create for yourself a 2015 stop doing list, just a little inventory off to the side of the, of the minutia, of the administrativa, of the little things that you know you're doing but are getting in the way of you having the maximum amount of time, energy, and focus for the other things. What an awesome idea that is. You know, we talk to clients in our coaching practice from time to time about stop doings, but to actually take some time to actually inventory it, to have the 2000, in this case, 14 reflection to do stop doings yeah. early in 2015, that's really important. What a, what a wonderful idea that is. Let me throw you a curveball, something that we didn't talk about in the pre-call, but I'm curious. What sort of technology do you use to all of this task stuff? So, you know, I've got, you know, whether it's a verb or a noun, it's still a task. And yeah. it's, you know, you mentioned earlier, well, you know, it can be post-it notes. It can be uh, a, a moleskin notebook. Um, I'm a raving fan of Evernote and teach wholesalers how to use it. But what do you use? I'll use a, a combination, Rob, between email, my moleskin journal, and Evernote. I, I actually watched a couple of your Evernote videos. I passed them on to my community because they were that good. So everybody, go watch those Evernote videos. Um, and, and I'll give it to you this way. I use email and my notebook as the capture process station. 
Then I'll filter all of that out over into Evernote as the reminding resource bank. And I've really put it into these four buckets. And I don't want to go too far downstream on this, Rob, but for me, the purpose of technology is to help me do one of four things at any time. It's either consume, create, store, or share. So consume, read, review, listen, watch, create, write, draft, send, uh, uh, give to a client. Store, I've got to put this stuff somewhere so that I can go access it again. And then the fourth one is share. At that third level, I have not yet found a tool, and I'm going to date stamp this thing. As of 2015, I haven't found a tool to store better than Evernote yet. Yeah, and we could do a whole show on Evernote, but we won't. Let's keep pounding through, and I love that. Consume, create, store, and share. Let's talk about um, taking inventory, being self-reflective. Wholesalers, when we did the Millionaire Wholesaler Study back in the summer, and as we're starting to dribble out some of our learnings, we had a really interesting insight from one wholesaler in particular that I, I suppose if you put him in a police lineup, you might suggest he was least likely to be a wholesaler, at least from outward appearance, but he was wildly successful and continues to be wildly successful. And he said, you know, I really have a DNA that's built for self-reflection. I take time to inventory what I've done. Was it successful? Was my appointment good? Did I make an impact? What could I have done better? What do you recommend in that realm, Jason? We're so busy. We're so busy doing that we don't stop to actually think about what we've done. How do we do that? So there is a lot of information, and, and as soon as someone says inventory or self-reflection, often they immediately in their mind go to, oh, boy, here comes a time log again. He's going to have me track my hours again. We've done that. So what I thought I would do is I would, I would, I would throw you a curveball because I want this to be as valuable as people listening to this. Here's the inventory I'm going to throw out there. would love a couple of you to test this and let Rob or I know what works. Off to the side of my desk, I'll keep a little three-by-five note card, and I'll put three columns down that note card. During the day, I'm going to be tracking the conversations I have that are transactions, the conversations I have that are relationship-building ones, and the conversations that I have that are opportunity development ones. Now, here's the transparency. A lot of your conversations are a blend of all of those. You call someone to check in to see how they're doing, kind of listening for if they need anything from you, kind of wondering if they're going to refer you out to somebody else. What I like to do is separate those out during that conversation. At the end of the day, I know I make immediate money in the transactions. I make short-term money in the relationship building. I make long-term money in the opportunity development ones. And so through a day, I'll look back, Rob, and I'll ask myself, Jason, did you do enough opportunity development so that 2016 and 17 is en route to you? Did you do relationship building so that summer and fall are good? And did you do enough transactions to keep the clients happy that you're currently serving? That sounds like a great practice to try to test with. That is to say, I hadn't heard that before. I hadn't heard of carving up the inventory into transactions, relationship building, and opportunity assessment. Was that the third one? I do opportunity development. So opportunity it, development. Right, right beyond the asking for a referral, um, you know, I've always said the best time to build my network is when I have something new to give away. Mm-hmm. And the more I can give something away, you doing this podcast weekly, uh, me doing my blog regularly, once I have something to give away, 
now people have a chance to come in and go, wow, there's an opportunity there that I may or may not have been fully aware of. Right. Okay. So let's look at the the last piece that we'll have time for today. Um, wholesalers and Jason, we did a we did a show a couple of years ago with um, Jeff Colvin, who is the editor of Forbes magazine, and he wrote a book, um, and in it uh, we learned about the whole notion of practice, and he was speaking particularly about in, in the comedic realm about the Jerry Seinfelds and the Chris Rocks. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, they get up in front of an audience and it just looks flawless. But the reality is Jerry Seinfeld shows up at comedy clubs to this day at 1230 a.m. unannounced to riff out 30 minutes to test what's going to work down to the very word. What are your thoughts on practice as it relates to productivity? You know, we, we work in an industry, we work with wildly successful sales professionals that kind of have a tendency to wing it sometimes. What's your idea on practice as it relates to productivity? Two things uh, immediately on mine. The first one's short. If you get a chance, Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, and Louis C.K., and one other comedian, they did a sit-down in a living room yep. where they discussed this very topic. Yep. Awesome, awesome 45-minute YouTube. So if anyone hasn't seen that yet, go get that one. Um, I, I have a saying, Rob, that we use, which is practice on the small things, perform on the big ones. I think what happens is a lot of times people will think of trying to start something new or unnew, and they save themselves for the big show, uh, whether it's um, emceeing an event, and they, they get on stage three to five times a year, and someone says, hey, will you take the stage? Will you do this as your sixth time this year? They'll say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'll, 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 I'll be ready when it, when it comes. Are there, and I'll ask you, are there opportunities for you to get on stage in a smaller venue eight or 12 times over that year? This idea of practice, it's interesting because people don't understand that every day they are deepening their own existing practices. There's a term that we use in psychology called homeostasis. Uh, it's used in, in engineering, but in, in psychology, it means we return to our, our normal. And if you look at your success over time, there probably in your life has been a time when you showed up unannounced, unprepared, on the spot, you winged it, and it worked. I mean, I'm thinking back in college, Rob, when I put off that one paper, I pulled an all-nighter, I turned it in, the next day I got a B plus. I was like, well, shoot, I could have spent 17 weeks writing this thing, or I could have spent 12 hours. That little bit of... of um, the universe providing feedback. What does that have to do with practice? Deliberate practice is the thing that I'm going after. So I pick a topic, I pick a skill, I pick a thing that I know six to 12 months from now I want to be a little bit better at, and I start to chip away looking at the best of the best. I start learning, I start listening, I start reading. What are the practices that I can learn about, and then where can I perform on the little things what work can I practice on the little things so I'm ready to perform when it's big? Okay. So I, I lied. I got one more because we got time for one more. You talk about the ideal day. Right. Uh, when you speak about ideal day, you know, we all conjure up what that would mean, and it has you know, different layers of meaning for different folks. But in the context of productivity, what does that mean to have an ideal day and, and as you suggest, to map it? 
Yeah, you know, this concept of visualization is nothing new. Um, if we look at athletics, if you if you kind of track it back to the mid to late 70s and then the 80s, that whole decade, uh, the, the Soviets actually really pushed on their athletes. And one of the reasons they did so well is what we are now really understanding, which is the power of visualization, seeing it before you see it. I got to work with a, an Olympian in, in Colorado, actually. She won a gold medal in Sydney. And she said, Jason, I never would begin a race. I never would begin a practice session without first seeing the numbers on the clock of what I was going to finish the race or the training session in. So for us, we take a look at into the future, you pick a day. Really quick note, Rob, there is not a single ideal day any of us will achieve. They, there are a multitude of ideal days. So what I like to do is step back and ask myself, great, what's, in, what's a day coming at me that's kind of important? Well, let's just say next Wednesday I'm leaving California, I'm flying to New York, I've got a client dinner that night. If that were to be an ideal day, what would happen over the 48, 24, 12 hours leading up to that important meeting? Well, what would I the night before? How would I sleep the night before? What time would I leave the house for the airport? What would I have with me on the airplane? And significantly taking a look at the visualization through that time. Rob, I'm not saying that we need to plan every moment of our lives. What I am saying is we're going to step into our life. It's just a matter of how much of that we are prepared for. Mm-hmm. And what, what I hear you speaking about, uh, I hope I got it right in part, is really um, uh, it's, it's a, uh, a consciousness of what we've done, the steps we took, uh, understanding by way of uh, evaluating them, did they work for us, could they be improved, so that piece by piece, bit by bit, you're able to achieve additional performance improvement. And, and as I say that, big smile, as I hear that, a big smile on my face, because that's the kind of people that you and I attract. Yep. We attract people who they believe in the Lego approach. One block, one block, one block, but a thousand blocks later, I've got something that looks like the Statue of Liberty. Yep. Wholesalers, the, bo- the points that we discussed today, getting the most from that 1% of your day, those 96 roughly 15-minute chunks, MIT, most important tasks, check your verbs, check your nouns, take inventory, be self-reflective, maybe try... Jason's activity of the three columns, transaction, relationship building, and opportunity development. Remember, practice. Go seek out that video. If nothing else, it'll be worth a great laugh to decompress. And why don't you give a try at figuring out the visualization of your ideal day? What were the components that led up to it? What did you learn from it? And how could you do any of it even better? Jason Womack, thank you for imparting your knowledge to us at Wholesaler Masterminds Radio. Rob, thank you. And Melanie, thank you for making the introduction to all of us. Indeed. And wholesalers, come back next time for another episode of Wholesaler Masterminds Radio.